the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Who here likes waiting? That was for anybody who might have said yes. Um, but I, myself, am not a big fan of, of waiting. Uh, you know, like when you order food at a restaurant, it just takes longer than you think it ought to, to like that. For just this past week, I was driving down the road, one lane was closed, I was kind of in a hurry, and I found myself in a staring contest with a guy holding a swivel stop sign. He just looked like he was on his smoke break. Uh, after college, I moved to Breckenridge, Colorado for a season, and I took a job teaching four- and five-year-olds how to snow ski. And that's when I realized that I was not a particularly patient person. No one really likes waiting, do we? St. Tom Petty said waiting is the hardest part. I guess we could probably come up with some sort of outlying scenario that, uh, that where waiting is, is beneficial. We might even make the case that, that waiting produces character and patience in us. But as a general rule, waiting is irritating. So what about waiting on God? What about waiting on God? I've heard it said that we live in a microwave culture, but we have a crockpot God. And sometimes, in fact a lot of times, the life of faith is a life of waiting on God. And what we see in our passage from the book of Genesis is that God's delay is not God's denial. But in fact, whether we can see it or not, God is always there. He is always working and waiting can actually be a great part of God's love for us. So we are in chapter 15 of Genesis, which is to say chapter 15 of the whole Bible. Right? I mean, we, there's nearly 1,200 chapters in the Bible. This is the very beginning. It's early in the story, maybe 2,000 years before Jesus. And Abram is waiting. He's waiting on a son. It's the son that God had promised to him. In fact, you may know that the name Abram means exalted father. But ironically, 80-year-old Abram has no children. And his wife, Sarai, is 70 years old. God had promised Abram a few years earlier that he would be the father of many nations. And you may know that, that God would soon rename Abram, the exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. And that sounded like a pretty great promise when God had first come to Abraham when he was just a young, spry 75-year-old. And indeed, it was an even greater promise than Abram realized. His lineage was to become the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes. His lineage was to produce prophets and great armies and King David and King Solomon and many other kings. And in fact, his lineage would produce the king of kings. The Messiah, the Savior 
of the world. But all Abram knew was that he was to be the root of a great big family tree. But to have a lineage, you got to have a line. And he needed a son. The son that God said he was going to have. You know, 80-year-old Abram is looking at his own body. He's looking at 70-year-old Sarai. And, well, perhaps we can have a little empathy if Abram was fearful that the promise would ever be fulfilled. And why can we have empathy? Because I think we know what it's like to look at a circumstance and doubt that God is in control. Doubt that God is really going to come through. Abram has been waiting for several years at this point, and he does what I think most of us would do. He takes matters into his own hands. It may even have felt to Abram more like responsibility than a lack of faith. And even when God graciously takes the initiative and comes to him and says, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I'm your protector. I have not forgotten my promise. Even then, Abram says, uh, God, I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> but don't worry, God. You know, I mean, don't worry about that because I've got it all worked out. Have you ever said to God, don't worry, God, I have a plan. <laughs> Eliezer of Damascus, he's my right-hand man. He's my number one servant. He he can be my heir. He can be my son, and his son could be my grandson. And culturally, that would have been okay. Now, Abram is not an atheist here, right? He believes that God is there, but he is also a realist. And he's been waiting now for several years, and nothing's happening. He knows it's not going to get any easier. I'm not sure that it even occurred to him that God could give him his own child, given his age. I think this is maybe where we can we could take the sermon in one direction. We could, we could say, you know, you just need to have faith that God is going to work miracles. You know, you the same God who gave Abram, old Abram, a son, will give you the things that you have been praying for. You just got to have faith. Abraham didn't have faith at first, but he came around. He believed the Lord, and so should you. And you're not gonna, you know what? That sounds really good on the surface. But it gets toxic really quickly. Really quickly. Because the truth is, as you know, God does not always give us the things that we pray for. Now, He does a lot of times, and we should pray for those things, but a lot of times, for reasons known only to Him, He doesn't. Hard things. Sad things and seemingly senseless things happen all the time. Now God would, of course, give Abram his own son, but he would have to wait another 20 years. Abram, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 when Isaac was born. And it was certainly a miracle. But believing that miracles are going to happen in our favor is not the point of this passage. No, the point of this passage is not to have faith in the outcome. The point of this passage is to orient our entire lives to the one who holds the outcome 
in his hands. The point of this passage is to orient our entire lives to the one who holds the outcome in his hands. The point of this passage is to say that whatever it is, God has got this. Even when it looks to us like he's not working. Even when it looks to us like he's got nothing to work with. God is working for our good and for his own glory. God is not simply calling Abram to trust that he's going to get a son, but to trust in the will of God and the wisdom of God and the strength of God and the love of the God who promised the son. And he's going to work it out. But he's going to work it out in his own way and in his own time. God's got this. God's got this. God is calling Abram to lift his eyes from simply looking at the circumstances because the circumstances by themselves, they were discouraging. In fact, they were impossible. But God has complete control over the circumstances. I mean, the circumstances may look one way, but you just never know how God is going to work it out. You never know how God is going to turn tragedy into triumph, or heartbreak into healing, or sadness into solace, or wrong into right. You never know. A friend of mine who lost his young son tragically has been able to help literally hundreds of others when they were facing tragedy. Another friend of mine blew up his marriage with pornography addiction, now helps many men with their own pornography addictions before it's too late. God makes majesty out of messes. He makes beauty out of brokenness. But sometimes, in fact, most of the time, we got to wait for it. We've got to wait for it. We've got to go through the hard to get to the hopeful. And that might feel irritating in the moment. We might start to lose our patience. We might start to doubt. We might be tempted to take matters into our own hands. So wouldn't it just be easier if God just gave us what we asked for? Why would God make us wait? Because the waiting teaches us, and listen, I'm preaching to myself here, I promise you. The waiting teaches us to stay focused on God rather than on the things that we want from God. The waiting teaches us to focus on God rather than the things we want from God. The testimony of this passage, and in fact the testimony of the entirety of Scripture, is that more than anything, God is pursuing a relationship with us. I mean, look at the end of the passage. God takes Abraham out and shows him the stars. Look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord and... Now, how would you fill in? If there, if there was a blank right there, how would you expect to fill in that blank? And so God, he believed the Lord and so God gave him a big old family, Right? That's not how it went. 
Abram believed the Lord, which means he, he began to trust the Lord in a new way. A, a sort of light switch flipped. He moved from wanting the, the thing that God had to offer to wanting God for God's own sake. Abram oriented. At that moment, all his thoughts, all his expectations, all his own actions towards the Lord. And Abram made the Lord the lens through which he viewed his life. And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. I wonder if you know from the book of Romans that St. Paul thought that that was one of the most important verses, one of the most important phrases in all the Hebrew Scriptures. The Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. He, the Lord reckoned that belief to Abram as righteousness. What the heck does that mean? It means that the Lord removed every barrier between him and Abram. It means that though Abram had lacked faith, that though Abram had plenty of other mistakes and sins, the Lord saw that faith and he counted Abram as if he was perfect. And that's called grace. Before the Lord provided the outcome that he had promised, the Lord provided the relationship that Abram needed. And it was based solely on faith. Abram was reckoned as righteous, but he was not rewarded with the child right away. In fact, he, as I said, he had to wait 20 more years, and God, within the context of that relationship, still had to encourage Abram a few more times along the way to keep the faith. And of course, God did give Abram a miracle child, conceived and born in a way that only God can make happen. That was just the beginning of the plan. Just the beginning, because many, many, many generations later, after the kings and the prophets and the armies, there would be another miracle child. In that line. Conceived not in an elderly and barren womb, but conceived in, in the womb of a virgin. And again, only God can make that happen. And this child would grow up to live a perfect life and yet die a sinner's death. So that we who believe in him may by his merits be reckoned as righteous. Sometimes we may be a little, li little like old Abraham, right? We might look at ourselves, maybe physically, maybe spiritually, and we think, how can God do anything with this? Because we know where we have doubted or strayed. We know the skeletons that are in our closets. We know the secrets that we keep from other people. We know the things that are done, the things that have left undone. And yet, through the miracle child, Jesus Christ, God has removed every barrier. Before He has given us the outcomes that we want, He has given the relationship with Him that we need. And it is in that faith 
in that trust, in that love, in that relationship with Christ that is the lens through which we view our lives, that we can wait on the Lord. So friend, whatever it is that you are going through right now, whatever it is the outcome that you are hoping for, God's got this. God's got this. And when we doubt, we actually have something that Abram didn't have, right? We can look to Jesus. We can look to the cross and the resurrection and know not only that God loves us and has this, but that we have eternal life on the horizon. God's got us. God's got this. His delay is not his denial. And though you cannot right now see how he is working, you can be assured that if you're talking to him about it, that he's working on it. In his way. In his timing. And while you're waiting on him, focus on him. Let's orient all of our thoughts, all of our expectations, all of our actions to the Lord. Let's make the Lord who loves us the lens through which we view our lives. Let's wait on the Lord. Because God's got this. Amen.